So good evening once again and welcome to Value Nigeria podcast. It's another week. Hope it's been um, a refreshing and a profitable week for everyone listening. Um, in the, our usual tradition, every week we try to bring in new guests just to hear another perspective to investing and just to improve our practice. In that same vein, we have another lovely guest on the podcast this today. Um, the first time his name came up on my radar, and that was during an interview I had with a, a guest earlier. So I just asked him if he could give me one or two names that um, are knowledgeable and have quite a lot to share with listeners. And he didn't hesitate to give me the gentleman's name that we'll be speaking with this evening. Um, his name is Mr. Robert Omotunde and he's the Chief Investment Officer with AfriInvest. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast this evening, sir. Um, do you just want to say hello to listeners of the podcast? Thank you very much. Yes, good evening, everybody. Um, thank you so much, um, Ajibola, for inviting me. And it's my pleasure to be on this podcast this evening. Thank you. Uh, believe us, uh, the, the pleasure is all us. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, just, just as our usual practice, we always try to get to know our guests a little bit better. Um, is there any chance you could just give us a little bit about your professional, academic, and possibly your personal background, if you don't mind? That's fine. Um, my name is Robert Omotunde, as you mentioned. I am a graduate of the University of Lagos. Uh, that's the University of First Choice <laughs> and the Nation's Pride. Mm. I'm happy to to alumnus of that uh, wonderful institution. It's the institution that molded me and shaped me into what I am today. Um, I studied um, adult education from the University of Lagos, and um, that is what you can call my background, because that's my first degree. But, um, you know, I have always been a quantitative person, right from secondary school. I was in an art class, but mathematics was my best subject, <laughs> you know, and um, that, that's, that's quite strange for someone that was in an art class, you know. Uh, but even in my universities, you know, when you are in the faculty of education, there is something they would typically call teaching course. So I had a teaching course that was economics, you know, and um, in those days, we would go to Department of Economics, University of Lagos, and um, come top of, you know, the courses you are taking ahead of those who own the courses in quotes, you know, because that was where my passion lied. The point I'm trying to make here is that I had a different background from finance, but I picked interest in economics, which then became the major course for which um, I pursued at my postgraduate level. So for the record, I had the first class in my university days uh, for my first degree, and then I went for what we call postgraduate diploma, you know, just to switch my my line from education to economics. You know, so I had another postgraduate diploma from the University of Lagos, Department of Economics, and, and then came out with a distinction, and then I pursued a master's degree as well in economics and also came out with a distinction. So that speaks to passion, you know, that anything you want to do, anything you want to pursue, you know, even if, you don't get what you originally want. You can always stay put and be determined, and you can always achieve. And in all of these cases that I mentioned, my you know, um, I always say to the glory of God because that is God that made it happen. 
you know, my first degree, my postgraduate diploma, my master's, I came top of the class in all situations, you know. Uh, my master's, I was, in fact, I won what we call the Tony Lumelu Award, you know, uh, in those days. Tony Lumelu Award that will give you uh, back then 500,000 uh, for being the best graduating, you know, student mm-hmm. at the postgraduate level, at the master's level, mm-hmm. University of Lagos, you know. My my undergraduate days, I was actually the best graduating student from the Faculty of Education, you know, the year I graduated. So, yeah, that was how I, that's my background, basically. And then how my, my, my launch into finance, how did it happen? I didn't have, you know, I didn't have the intention to, to, to study finance. It's not these days that, you know, a lot of young people are very lucky these days because Right from the university, they they they've been exposed somewhat to different seminars, programs, you know, workshops, or even hear, they've heard people speak, or probably have seniors who are ahead of them, who have got gotten into the industry and are you know exposing them to some of the you know professions that are available. I wasn't lucky to have that, so you know, I only knew then that I had a passion. You know, I love research. You know, um, I was introduced to research first of all when I was in 300 level. Uh, when I was taught, I was taught uh, conducting and reporting research. It was a course that I loved so much and and developed interest in it. You know, and that's why you know research was a passion for me. But when it was time to you know pick a job for my NYC, I worked in a bank. You know, for my youth service and. Um, you know, there's something that's always been part of me. I'm very analytical. I like to analyze things. So even when I was in the bank, you know, I worked in the retail and personal banking unit of uh, the defunct Intercontinental Bank. And um, I mean, it was it was it was not difficult to to understand that I really didn't belong there. Um, only very few people drive, you know, what we call the core banking activities, and those those are the people that typically will stay in the head office. You know, uh, the rest of the people are, you know, mostly just carrying out activities of uh, things, policies, you know, frameworks that have been put in place. You know, but um, after my NYC, I left banking and I was looking for a job like any other person, you know, looking for a job without a specific, you know, interest at art, I would say, you know, and in my in my search for job, I got into, you know, one of the you know, leading industry today, you know, back then, Meristem, Meristem uh, Securities Limited. And, um, you know, I, I came to write the, uh, you know, recruitment test and I got the, wrote the test. And then this, they asked me, they, they told me after I wrote the test that I passed because it was a computer-based test. So it was immediate. And then they said, what am I applying for? I said, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm applying for because I don't even know jobs available. Uh, and then they told me, they started mentioning the roles that are available, about five of them. And then they mentioned re before they could say search. <laughs> I was yeah, that's what I want, research. Remember I told you yeah. I've loved research, you know, uh, from my university days. So, so the nature of research I was coming to do, I didn't even, you know, have an idea of what, what it will really look like uh, back then, you know. So it was then I got into that recruitment process and the rest is sweet. I got the job, you know. I was then I wrote my level one CFA, you know, and got more acquainted with the the finance world. And I found out that wow, 
I couldn't have been doing something different other than finance, you know. Mm-hmm. And every day I, I, I still, you know, in this industry, I always thank God that all other places I applied to, I didn't get the jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and I always say, you don't necessarily have to be a finance graduate or an economist graduate to actually succeed in, in my kind of industry. Over the past, you know, a uh, few years that I've been in this industry, I've seen people who studied even English, you know, who have uh, succeeded in the finance uh, in the finance space. Thank you very, very much, sir. Um, I just want to pick on a few things that have come up in the course of what you've said. Um, the first is that yeah. no matter for the listeners, no matter how far along they might have gone along a path, the minute they realize that that path is not for them, they should look for an alternative. It's never too late to even make a Absolutely. 360 degree or a 180 degree turn. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's very vital. I mean, and um, I would say that God was very gracious to me because there were several jobs I could have gotten before that time. You know, um, getting a job in finance, I mean, I couldn't have asked for any better any better profession than than what I'm currently doing. So to speak to that, even if you find yourself in the wrong profession, it is never too late to take a U-turn. You know, it may mean that you will take a pay cut. It may mean that you've been you've been long gone in that profession and coming. I mean, I've I've have met people in the course of my career, a couple of people who have told me they don't mind to even take fifty percent cut in pay just to get into my kind of industry because they found out that that is what they really want to do, you know, but um, it's never too late. That's, I think that's the point we are trying to emphasize. All right. Perfect. I think we'll just go right into the crux of the discussion. Um, Now in your job as the chief investment officer, managing billions of Naira, managing various funds, I'm sure you Take, make a lot of decisions, you decide on what to buy, you decide on where to allocate capital, you decide on how to construct your the portfolio of um, the funds you are managing. Now, the retail investors also make this kind of decisions. They decide how to save money, how to build their, you know, what to buy, how to structure their portfolio. And you, you do it on a larger scale and you do it professionally. Do you have any advice for the retail investors listening on how to allocate capital and how to structure their portfolio? Yes, um, you know, cap- capital allocation uh, processes are not—they um, are not really that simple. You know, um, again, you must be coming from somewhere before you would decide. Okay, what proportion are you allocating to what asset class and why? Now, um, like you mentioned, at, at, at a much more uh, standardized level where, you know, the uh, corporate is, you know, like I am a fund manager and, you know, the approach we will take will be coming from somewhere to say uh, for a particular fund, what is the objective of this fund that I am managing? I'm sure you are aware that even as a fund manager, you have different portfolios that you manage. You know, and every portfolio has its own um, objectives and what you seek to achieve and what sort of clients you are selling that, uh, you know, portfolio to. So from that point of view, what we do from the start is to typically create what you call 
an investment policy statement. You know, uh, some people will call it um, an investment charter. Some will call it, you know, if it's a regulated fund, you know, regulated by you know, the Securities and Exchange Commission, it will be contained in what is called the trust deed. And what this document does is to outline what are the objectives of this particular fund you're setting up, what sort of investors are buying it, what are the characteristics of the securities that will be contained in it. As you know, there are different asset classes. You know, broadly speaking, there are five categories of assets. You know, and um, broadly speaking, we talk about securities. Uh, you have currencies. You have commodities. You have um, real estate and contracts. So uh, basically, there are five. So for contracts, we are talking about derivatives majorly. You know, whether it's a forward or a futures or a you know, swap or option, you know, uh, that's that's a bit more sophisticated for retail investors. But we talk about real estate. Everybody can see real assets, basically speaking, you know, uh, talking about real estate, buying of, you know, selling of real estate, building, construction. That's what that asset class is about. Commodities, which can be, you know, um, met precious metals or, you know, some other soft commodities like, you know, crude oil, um, you know, or the associated commodities to crude oil, gas, and, and the likes. Uh, we also talk about securities. Securities can either be equities, fixed income, you know, and any other type of financial assets that can that can be, you know, derived related to them. You know, um, ETFs by by far we we we, we categorize as securities. ETFs, by the way, is exchange traded fund. You know, they are. They are funds that are derived from like an index or indices that mirror certain underlying assets. And then on the back of them, you are creating, you know, um, some some um, sort of portfolios that investors can buy into. And then the currencies, trading currencies, USD to pound sterling or USD to Naira. You know, it's a form of asset that we also trade. Of course, what is emerging is in the realm of cryptocurrency now that we talked about. And for cryptocurrency, you know, those are digital assets, uh, basically. And it's an emerging asset class that, you know, we cannot also ignore. So in constructing a portfolio, whether at an institutional level or at a retail level, you have to now determine, first of all, um, how to put, put together your you know, your policy statement. So the policy statement will talk, talk about the objectives of the fund I'm trying to, you know, manage or the portfolio I'm trying to manage as the case may be, you know. And in defining the objective, you cannot run away from the sort of risk you would like to take. You know, when we talk about returns in the investment space, it's all about risk. Every time you hear the word return, what is not spoken is also risk. Because every risk comes with its own return. I'm yet to see an investment that, that delivers a return and has no risk. None that I know of. So when you think return, think risk. So to that extent, we also have to determine the risk appetite. You know, uh, at, at an institutional level, your objectives or investment policy statement, investment chapter, as the case may be, will tell you the sort of um, appetite you have to show that risk knowing that for you to deliver return on any asset class, risk must accompany, you know. So um, we can define the risk as moderate, as aggressive or, you know, low. Um, and, and that, again, will determine 
how you allocate resources. But at the retail level, and it's, I mean, at an individual level, it's easier to, to determine, you know. Um, you know, some people have some peculiar characteristics. So sometimes if I look at your age, I may be able to tell where your risk appetite should be. You're a retiree, you've hanged, you know, you've done most of what you have to do in your life and now you're retired, you're doing nothing else, you're living on gratuity and then you want to invest or you have some, you know, pockets of investment that you want to manage. I would think that you should be a bit low in terms of risk, you know, more like you should be risk averse, yeah. you know. Um, although I've seen also investors who are senior citizens but who are still willing to take risk. That's not advisable <laughs> from a professional point of view, you know. Uh, but um, young people, you know, you know, people who are in their early 20s, late 20s, 30s, even, you know, late 40s, those who are, you know, at the beginning of their career, you know, or at the mid uh, level of their career can afford to take some some risk, you know. And by risk, if we let's let's go a bit traditional, you know, when we talk about traditional assets, you know, equities most of the time, you know, can be used to explain the sort of risk that you know investors can be exposed to. And when you're dealing with an equity investment, you know that equities come with their their volatility. You know, prices can go up. In one market, you know, uh, trading session, you could you could, you know, if you're trading a US security, for example, market will go as high as 50% and come down as low as I mean as high as 50% as well. Um, but in the Nigerian environment, it could go as high as 10% and come down as, you know, high as 10% as well. So the issue then will be, you know, do you want to, you know, expose yourself, you know, in a significant way to such a volatile asset class? So again, your investment policy statement, which you have defined for yourself, if you ask me, you know, even though um, I should be in my mid-risk level, if you are using my age, I will tell you that my risk appetite is low, you know, because I don't want to take undue risk. So equity in my portfolio is very minimal, if not zero, you know, because I'm not such a, an aggressive um, investor in terms of risk, you know. But you, you could see someone, you know, even much older than me who is willing to take more risk, you know, but I'm just talking about me, you know, as different from any other investor. So... Your risk appetite, which could be low, moderate, or aggressive, uh, or high, could determine, you know, how much of um, allocation you will do to different asset classes. But by and large, when you look at your portfolio, and again, because of access to markets, especially if you're an investor within Nigeria, so look at all the asset classes I've mentioned, securities, either equities or fixed income, you know, is broadly categorized as one asset class, even though sub-asset class will say, okay, equity is an asset class, fixed income is also an asset class, you know. Uh, in the Nigerian environment, you know, if you take those two, equities, fixed income, and maybe a bit of commodities and pockets of real estate investment that you find out there, you know, you see that that is mostly exhaustive of what you can actively invest in within the Nigerian environment. But if you're trading actively the U.S. market, for example, you can gain exposure to other asset classes like commodities. You know, you can buy ETFs that are tracking oil or ETFs that are tracking real estate or ETFs that are tracking any other commodities, no matter how volatile that commodity may seem. 
You know, in Nigeria, we don't have that depth yet. Uh, in fact, in Nigeria, we have, a, we have an ETF that tracks gold, which we call, you know, new gold. Uh, but that, that security is not as liquid as you would expect it to be, you know. Uh, we have some other securities that track real estate, like we call them REITs, that's real estate investment trusts. Uh, we have pockets of them in the market today, but they are also not as liquid. And in your investment, liquidity is so key. Liquidity is about your ability to go in and go out every time you want to go in and go out. You know, so those are some of the things that you will consider. So without boring you with what happens at the you know institutional level where I play, um, I think for retail, what will determine ultimately is your risk appetite and the availability of um, investment um, opportunities within your reach if you're you know playing within the Nigerian space. But if you're playing you know, and nothing is stopping you, to, so to speak, from playing at the global level because there are different applications that can help you, you know, gain access into international market, particularly the U.S. market. You know, nothing is stopping you to do that. Then you can have more access, you know, to, to those sort of um, sort of uh, uh, investment. But I, I think the point to be made here is your, your risk appetite will ultimately determine how your allocation will go. You know, so if you're aggressive, you can you can locate more to equities, <laughs> cryptocurrency, like I mentioned. You know, I mean, cryptocurrency is even easier to trade in our client right now. You know, from the comfort of your home or your phone, you can easily trade, you know, cryptos. But that's even highly more volatile than equities. You know, on the from the traditional space, equities are typically the most volatile. But with the advent of cryptocurrencies, you know, they are much more volatile than 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 equities, you know, because <laughs> within intraday activities, you know, prices go as high as 40-50% and come down as low as 40-50%, you know, in on the same on the same day, you know, depending on the flow of information and how market activities are, are driving them. All right. Thank thank you very, very much for that, sir. Um you've walked right into my next question. You talked about risk and you've mentioned one way of uh, managing risk, which is like, you know, structuring your portfolio in a way that if you are risk averse, invest in assets that are more, that are less risky as compared with equities or cryptocurrencies or, you know, assets like that. Now, for the retail investors, aside this, are there other ways by which risk can be managed? Mm, Yes. Um, So, and I think it's important to, to state this now, uh, particularly so because um, from from a global perspective, we're seeing rising inflation, and uh, you know, in the in the traditional investment uh, parlance, we will say when inflation is rising, you, you expect yields to rise to match up with inflation, so that you can have what we call real return. So that real return is what you get in excess of inflation. But as we speak today, there is hardly any country where your traditional assets in fixed income, whether you're buying bills or you're buying bonds, treasury bills, treasury notes or treasury bond, it's difficult to find any investment the world over today that will pay you in excess of inflation. Of course, Russia and Ukraine crisis has aggravated general price levels because of energy costs, you know, not just in the U.S. or in the euro area, but also in Nigeria. 
of course, we even have our own peculiar issues in Nigeria that is foiling or that is impacting on inflationary pressure in the country. So that said, it will mean that naturally what we call Ponzi schemes, like things that are not really, they are not real. You know, they are just a way of defrauding investors. They'll come up because they know that traditionally no investment can give you, you know, return in excess of inflation. Except, of course, they are now taking risk and, you know, buying into equities. I mean, in two, three days, an equity may return 30% or more. You know, you will bet that that will pay you in excess of inflation even within two, three weeks <laughs> or two weeks or one week, as the case may be. You know, but for fixed income investment, it's difficult to now get that kind of return. So you will typically then see all sorts of schemes. You know, some will send, you know, put money in this investment to pay you 15% in two hours. You know, there's no such things that exist. If, if it exists, nobody will be poor, you know. Um, or such schemes that will tell you, look at this environment where we are now. The highest paying yield from a risk-free perspective, what we call risk-free is an investment that, not that there, there are no risks to it, but, you know, the possibility of default, meaning the possibility that you will not get your money back is almost zero because in the event that the issuer does not have money to give you, the issuer has the ability to print money and pay you back. So Federal Government of Nigeria, for example, cannot default on Naira issuance. You know, no matter the size of that, even if they issue 100 trillion in one sweep, in the, you know, unlikely event that they cannot pay you, what they then do is to print more currency and they'll still be able to repay you. So in investment, we say those are risk-free. But the risk we refer to that is free for such investment is what we call credit risk. So, and that's where I'm going. So, you know, I mentioned Ponzi scheme and all sorts of schemes that and allow people to get returns. So for an investor, one way to analyze risk is to analyze it from the perspective of credit risk. So, and when you're dealing with a fixed income investment, the greatest risk an investor should worry about is credit risk. Credit risk is the risk that your money will not be paid back to you. Somebody comes up and say, come and invest in this real estate. It's going to pay you 45% per annum. Now, 45% is more than 40% in excess of what the risk-free rate will pay you. So that should tell you that the risk inherent in that investment <laughs> is times, so look at that multiple, 45% to 40%. That's about nine times. So it means that the, the risk you're taking with that decision to invest in that real estate is nine times the risk you're taking when you give money to the federal government. You understand? So, and it helps you to balance it. I mean, such investments are highly risky and you should not be involved except you have aggressive appetite for risk, if you get what I mean. Yes. So, and sometimes it's difficult for retail investors to analyze because, you know, in an inflationary environment where traditional investments will not give you that kind of return, it's a no-brainer for most of them, you know, but you have to help yourself to say, okay, let's start this analysis from what is the risk rate today? At a time when there was a time in this country, 2017, 16, when risk-free treasury bills rate was as high as 18% discount rate, 20% yield. At such point, if you know real estate investment was offering you 30%, 35%, somewhat you can say, okay, 
is relatable. But not when the risk-free rate is below 5% for, the, for one year and people are offering you 45%. That should trigger your risk panic in, uh, mode such that you want to look into it much more. So someone promising you 45%, it means that the person is able to deliver what, I mean, return in excess of 45%. So check truly what are they doing with the money. If it's real estate or if it's real estate, what sort of buildings are they building? You know, what's the average cost of the building? What's the return? So you need to do much more analysis than, you know, than you will do. Look, I work for an institution, you know, and at the institutional level, we still take such investment decisions to invest in what we call alternatives. You know, remember we, we mentioned the asset classes. Real estate is one of the commodities is one of the. They are generally classified as alternative assets because they are not traditional like your equities and fixed income. You see what I mean? Yes. So we still invest in such, you know, uh, alternative investment, but we do much more analysis that maybe a retail investor may not have the time or the capacity to do. So if someone comes to me and say, oh, I have this investment that offers 45%, he had better have his numbers correct. Because when we are done, we find out that even before I tell him, he will walk away by himself. Because I'm going to look at it number for number detail, build my model on that investment, you know, before, I mean, to look at it, whether it's feasible before I, I get into it. So credit risk is one thing that I want to emphasize. You know, and for an investor that is playing retail, when you buy into equities, for example, or even other fixed income securities, you also have to worry about market risk. So market risk is the um, the possibility that the investment you're taking will there will be asset price drawdown, meaning you could lose value. You you bought a security for hundred naira, and the price could go as low as sixty naira, as much as the price can go as high as. 149. So there are risks. Remember, I said every everywhere you see returns, there must be risk. Do you understand? So uh, market risk exists, and there are ways to track them. So if you're investing in fixed income, for example, you know um, one of the things you want to study is inflation outlook. You know what's the possibility that inflation will moderate over the next few months, or as against the, the probability that it will it will aggravate over the next few months. So if I'm expecting higher interest rate level in normal climbs, you know, because sometimes things don't look the way they seem sometimes, especially in Nigeria, you know, but in normal climbs, when you see, you know, high inflationary environment or you have higher expectation of interest rate, I mean, of inflation, what then follows is also higher expectation of interest rates because of the real return, you know, concept that, that we talk about. Yeah, so it's the same thing that's happening globally today. You know, we are seeing high inflation rates globally, and that is translating into higher interest rates expectation. So if I'm a, I'm a fixed income investor, then I have to bother. If I'm invested in fixed income and interest rates will rise, it's not going to work in my favor because there's, a, there's an inverse relationship that exists between your yield and your price. So if I've already bought into some bonds and I'm expecting interest rate to rise, it means if I mark those bonds to market, my prices will go down. So I worry about such risk. So that may determine how I want to play. So if I'm expecting interest rate to rise and I'm not invested, I may want to wait, you know, get to such a point where interest rates have risen and then I can say, okay, let me buy at that level, you know, and hopefully 
interest rates will reverse like moderate and as a moderate are making money. So those are some of the risks that you want to look at. So market risk is also tied to what we call interest rate risk, which is a corollary of um, general price level because interest rate is derived from you know the, the, the price level in, in the system, basically. So I think the, the major risk that I think investors, retail investors particularly, should look at for is credit risk. It's different ball game if I'm investing in equities. For equities, is a completely different ball game because at that point in time, I am doing much more analysis of the equity I'm buying. So let me give you an instance. Before I would deta- decide that I want to buy into say, a banking stock like Stambic IBTC, for example, there's a lot of, you know, analysis that typically we go into that. But a retail investor cannot do such analysis. So the best you can do for yourself is um, make sure you subscribe or you're trading through, you know, a brokerage house that has a research outfit such that they will give you, you know, tips on analysis, give you recommendation on such stocks. So I... In my analyst days, for instance, before we issue a buy or a sell on, on a stock, days of analysis, sitting with management, understanding their strategy, looking, I mean, top-bottom analysis that we'll do, go into the valuation, look at the economy, you know, I will understand the business more as much as the managing director or the, the chief financial officer of that company will understand it. And then I place a buy or a sell recommendation on it. You can take it to the bank. So a retail investor can pick that buy or sell recommendation and then action it. So for equities, those are the things that you need to, you cannot, you cannot, um, um, because it's, it's a rigorous, some set of rigorous activities that go into it. So retail investors may not have the time to do that much of detailed analysis, but you can rely on, you know, professionals that already do this and most of the time they will give you the basis of their recommendation you know uh, you know if if they have any association with the company they will put their disclaimer or put their disclosures as appropriate so that you're sure that any recommendation you get is unbiased and can be actually relied upon so it's, it's much cheap um, easier for you know but some investors also get so sophisticated to the point that they already know what analysts will look out for and they also look for such, you know, trends. For instance, if, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a bank, for example, the league that will put Stambic, for example, there is hardly any other tier two bank that will stay in that league. So I may likely want to compare from a valuation perspective, a GT with a Stambic, sorry, a Stambic with a GT or a Zenith. For example, because in terms of uh, return on equity, Stambic is about the best, you know, uh, before you start talking about others. So some investors know what is peculiar. I mean, those are a, it's a training on its own, as a matter of fact. So if we have to go into, you know, uh, such things you will look at before you determine which stock to buy. But I think, uh, and then the question of credit risk does not arise if you're dealing in an equity for example, because, you know, those are equity stakes in companies. So it only applies to, you know, credits or debt uh, securities, like fixed income securities, basically. But I think if investors will watch out for credit risk, they won't make, you know, some silly mistakes that investors make when, you know, returns are too good to be true. And then people put money only to find out that their money is lost uh, down, the, down the line. Perfect. Thank you very much, sir.
Um, just as a follow-up, you, you, uh, I have two follow-up questions to that. The first is, yep. now, for the retail investor listening to this that feels this whole process of research, doing all the hard work yourself is too cumbersome and just wants to yep. commit their money to a fund manager, what should the retail investor look out for in fund managers before committing funds to them? Well, that's a very brilliant question. Uh, and I think that, like, like you said, so if you are not going to be taking um, that decision on your own and you're looking out for fund managers to place a bet on, you typically want to look for the track record of that fund manager. Um, you know, uh, I mean, how long have they been in existence? What's their, you know, what sort of deals have they done in the market? You know, and um, do they have, um, you know, different subsidiaries that could support you know, whatever their fund management unit is doing. Do they have funds that are regulated by Securities and Exchange Commission? I mean, when you have a fund that is regulated by Securities and Exchange Commission, you have a bit of comfort, you know, that your money is safe because a custodian warehouses those funds. In the event that the fund manager goes under, you're safe because, I mean, your, your fund is sitting with a custodian. The assets are also sitting with a the custodian. Then what is the track record of that fund manager in terms of performance, you know, uh, what was their performance like five years down the line, you know, for that particular fund. And that can, you know, give you a tip as to whether that fund manager is a viable fund manager for, for, for what you're trying to achieve. Then fund management or different, you know, fund managers also have different funds. Like I said, depending on the objective of that fund. You know, some we have what we call equity fund. I mean, a fund that invests purely in equities, even though there are investment strategies crafted around the equity itself. You know, there are specific sectors that we invest in. You know, there's allocation per, per sector, there's allocation per stock. You know, all of those typical things that you you monitor in, in, a, in a typical, you know, portfolio management um, um, affair. All of those things, they'll, they'll take care of it, you know, and then they will invest on your behalf and all you get, depending on the trust deal they have, some may pay you dividend from time to time, if it's an equity fund, for example, or pay you coupon, if it's a fixed income fund, like a bond fund or money market fund, you know, for money market, they will typically pay you interest on a, on a quarterly basis every three months, you know, and... Um, I mean, if it's a money market fund, you, you, your fund is safeguarded, you know, you're not subjected to any market risk per se, you know. However, if it's a, um, it's, a, it's a bond fund, depending on the strategy that the fund manager adopts, some managers will mark to market, meaning you can suffer market risk. And some other, you know, fund managers will hold to maturity, meaning you can't suffer market risk, but you may also not have superlative returns as compared to when you are marking to market. So all of those things you will look at. And, you know, of course, there are always uh, information on whichever product you want to invest in uh, before you, you you start investing in them. You know, um, if you want me to market my firm, I will. I, I represent <laughs> Africa. <laughs> and you can talk to us. You know, we have different products that can meet your needs. Uh, if you want to, uh, I mean, commit your resources to a fund manager to manage on your behalf rather than you do it, doing it on your own. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Um, 
Now, a follow-up question to that. Now, for the retail investor who feels, okay, I'm savvy enough, I've read books, or I know enough to manage my funds myself, um, you are the professional. Do you have any advice on things to look out for in companies before buying? Okay. So, it's, um, so let's, let's start from the beginning. You have to look at which, which, which sort of... Um, sector do you even want to invest in in the first instance you know um sometimes there are there are sectors that are cyclical there are sectors that are acyclical you know and and there are sectors that are counter cyclical you know uh if you are cyclical they move with the economy right now prices are going high you know um economy is recovering from the slowdown of 2020 coming into 2021 so um, the sectors that are likely going to boom, you know, the consumer sector, for example, um, are very good sectors to invest in. We talk about the telecom sector, you know, they are likely sectors that are you know, benefiting from what is going on right now. Um, maybe to some extent, telecom communication sector may be described as what we call a cyclical. A cyclical means that they don't move with the trends or the cycle of the economy. You know, uh, whether the economy is doing bad or good, they are, they are okay. A case in point was in the pandemic when, you know, um, things were tumbling, but, you know, the telecom sector was actually booming, right? And there are some counter-cyclical sectors where, as the economy is growing, they are, they are, they are going downhill, you know. Um, it's also possible that when the economy is bad, some sectors like the brewery sector may boom. You know why? <laughs> I can when imagine. <laughs> when the economy is, is bad, everybody is depressed, you know. People while away their sorrow by drinking their, their themselves to stupor and things like that. So that could actually be a boom for the for the brewery sector. And you don't necessarily have to have money to be drunk. You know, just be at the bar at the right time. And the guy that has the money will spend his house rent on, you know, buying for everybody. <laughs> and you know. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's where to start from. Now, if you identify sectors you want to invest in, you can now say, okay, let me look at specific companies within that sector. And when you're looking at the companies within the sector, you're thinking, um, so there are, there are qualitative and quantitative information you will look out for. From the qualitative point of view, you want to check what's the management like, you know, um, is, it, is it a stable management? Is it, is it a management that changes from time to time? You know, uh, if it's a stable management, you probably want to say, okay, what's the pedigree of the managing director? You know, are, they, are there people you can trust? I mean, these are qualitative information, right? But you can start drilling into the numbers, you know, and then start checking what's the performance of this company? What's their track record? Is it a company that has been growing revenue over the past few years? You know, typically, we will look at the last five years, you know, what has been their revenue trajectory, you know, what factors will drive, you know, greater revenue in the future. You look at the history, you know, and then you look at the future. And looking at the future, you want to check, does this company have some strategic expansion plans such that will drive revenue activities over the next few years uh, into the future? Or... Do, are they planning to expand, um, you know, increase capacity? Now, not just that, is there a market for the product that this company is into? 
Now, if there is a market, what is their strategic place in the market? Are they, you know, what's their position? Is he a market leader? Is he, you know, is it such that dictates market? And what's the structure of the market in itself? You know, is he, do you have many players in that market? Or is, is it just few players, like what we call an oligopolistic market? You know, uh, what sort of pricing mechanism exists in that market? Are they price takers? Are they price makers? All of those information are critical to determining the revenue trajectory. Then you now come drill down into the efficiency of the company itself in terms of how they manage costs, what are the sources of raw materials. You know, if it's a flour milling company, for example, you already know that they will have some challenges with, with cost of raw materials because, I mean, um, flour milling companies run on wheat and um, they are imported. Global supplies up to 20, 30% come from Russia and Ukraine and they are at war right now. So that's going to affect global supplies. Prices are going to probably rise. If prices will rise, that may have impact on their volume, you know, the volume of goods they could turn out. And that will in turn, depending, you know, there are so many things to do. As a matter of fact, it's a cumbersome activity. You don't have to now think about, okay, what is the place, you know, what sort of elasticity of demand does this product have in the marketplace? You know, um, if you determine, so in a, in a situation where you think that prices will rise, you would then think, you know, can this can this uh, company pass on the cost to the to the consumers? What would determine that is the 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 degree of elasticity of demand. Is it an inelastic product or an elastic product? If it's inelastic, there is every likelihood that they can pass the cost to the consumers, right? But if it is elastic, you know, they cannot pass the cost to the consumers. You know, uh, if it's um, in between. They may pass some to consumers and also get some, you know. But even when you pass to consumers, you then have to analyze the consumer wallet in itself, you know. Um, even if your good is inelastic enough to be passed to the consumer, do they have the capacity to buy them? If they don't, then <laughs> we also talk about income also has its own elasticity. You know, we can determine whether that product in itself is income elastic or income inelastic. So it's a lot of analysis that sometimes it's a, it's not worth it for retail investors to, except for, you know, for them to, I mean, apart from the fact that they just want to exercise, they want to, they want to task their brain to be active, you know, it's a lot. But there's an analyst that is paid to do that job. That's his job. You know, it will look at look at all the loopholes, all the things that you, you want to consider. You know, when you do all of those, that's when you can now make projection for the company. How do you see their revenue growing? Every line item on their balance sheet will make forecasts into the future. You know, when you now have forecasts, you can now say, oh, okay, for the next five years, this company is going to be profitable. They are not going to be profitable. And you now drill down to the valuation. Valuation is Naira and Kobo. You know, on the basis of what I've projected, what is the what is the valuation of this company? What will they be worth over the next five years? There are methodologies to that also. Some will use the dividend approach, using the dividend the company will pay. If it's a dividend-paying company, if it's a company that does not pay dividend, you may want to rely on their, you know, their, their, the excess of their return on equity over their cost of equity. You know, some others will look at the free cash flow on the basis that is your cash flow that can drive your expansion activities. You know, some others will even look at some relative terms to say, okay, 
if I expect these earnings to grow by this, you know, on the basis of this earnings expectation, what can be the price of this stock on a relative basis? So you are now looking at, okay, I'm looking at this stock or this company that exists in the same class with another company. You know, what is the price to earnings ratio of this particular company relative to this other company? I can do a comparison on that basis. Some will look at, you know, the EV to EBITDA ratio, that's enterprise value relative to your EBITDA. These are technical stuffs that, you know, uh, retail investors, it's a lot of activity, especially for, for equities. You know, for fixed income, it's, it's easier to do the analysis, but for equities, because you're talking about drilling down into the Naira and Copper. And at the end of the day, when I'm done with my valuation, I will tell you this stock is worth 30 Naira, but the stock may be trading currently at 25 Naira. It means that there are some sort, sort of value, you know, and some others we you know, say, oh, this stock is worth 30 naira and it's already trading at 45 naira. It means that if you have it, go sell it. You know, prices may may come down. You know, so I mean, there's so much to to look at if you're if you're valuing equities. It's a lot of activities. Yeah. Thank Thank you very much for going deep down into the into the details to reveal quite a lot to us. We appreciate that. Um, I'm just going to ask a few specific questions that may be somewhat specific about our free invest in one way or the other. All right. Um, the That's first fine. is that we've seen we've seen the Central Bank of Nigeria in conjunction with the Af- Africa Finance Corporation and um, yeah. the Nigerian Sovereign Investment Authority launching what they've called the Nigeria Infrastructure Fund, which they hope mm-hmm. would fund the, the to close the deficits in infrastructure in the country. Um, they, from what they've said so far, they've said the government will provide one trillion naira in equity, and they expect asset managers to raise um, fourteen trillion naira. Um, and they've appointed some asset managers. We've seen Triple A Consortium, of which um, Afri Invest is a part of this. Uh, so congratulations on that being appointed a, a, an asset manager to this fund. Thank you so much. Now, there are just a couple of questions that have come up. Um, like, how will this 14 trillion naira be raised? Will retail investors be given the opportunity to participate even in this fund raise? When will the fund actually kick off? Lots of questions. If you could just provide some color to this, it will be helpful. All right. Yeah, that's fine. So, um, like you mentioned, thank you for the background, mm-hmm. that you, which is that uh, the central bank in uh, partnership with Africa Finance Corporation and... Um, the Nigerian Sovereign Investment Authority, that's NSIA, uh, they formed this consortium that is targeting, tackling some of the, you know, endemic infrastructure challenges that the country is, is facing. By far, you will agree with me, you know, there have been a, quite a number of studies that have been done on what resources are needed to actually, you know, uh, bridge the infrastructure gap in Nigeria. And the the list of those projections are in, you know, I mean, there are some that suggest up to about a trillion, a trillion, uh, you know, a trillion dollars actually uh, needed to bridge the sort of infrastructure gap that we face in this country. But uh, I think the step that the NSIA uh, in conjunction with Central Bank and um, um, AFC is doing or is taking now, it's to, you know, I would say take baby steps, you know, because even if you imagine that we need about a hundred trillion to bridge hundred trillion naira to bridge the infrastructure gap, what they've done now or what they are planning to do is is, is just fifteen percent of what is needed. 
You see what I mean? Yes. Uh, but by far, we need more than 100 trillion to bridge infrastructure gap of, of Nigeria. But I mean, it's a good step in the in the right direction. And we are happy, you know, representing Afro Invest now that, you know, we're part of this. And that speaks to, you know, uh, the the experience that Afro Invest has in this industry. You know, uh, Afro Invest is going to be 27 this year. So we've been around for quite a, a, a number of years. And um, we, 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 we did back, I mean, pre-Nigerian democracy that we celebrate today, we were existing, you know. And um, uh, that's why when this, you know, idea came up and we were submitting proposals, we didn't just go in, you know, uh, as Afro-Invest. Of course, you know that Afro-Invest has experience not just in fund management and portfolio management, in securities trading, in financial advisory, that's investment banking. We have trustee experience, you know principal investment, you know, just name it. We are like an investment banking, um, you know, um, conglomerate, uh, so to speak, because we, we have different aspects of, of the finance space that we play in. But we also thought about, you know, going in with some other partners who have, you know, we have done infrastructure at advisory level in Afroinvest, but we, we went as far as partnering with those who have actually been involved in project financing for infrastructure, you know, and that's um, uh, Africa, Africa Plus Partners, you know, of course, in conjunction with also ARC. That's why we formed AAA. That's Afro Invest, Africa Plus Partners, and ARC Consortium, you know. So that's the that's the AAA in it. And what the central bank wants to achieve is to put down a seed funding of one trillion naira, like you mentioned, and it is expected that the four fund managers that have been appointed. AAA consortium being one will raise the additional funding that is needed, you know, for this consortium. And believe me, you, what we will have to raise will both will encompass both local and foreign debts. You know, some will be USD-based, some will be, you know, Naira-based. In addition to that, we would expect that we will throw in all sorts of instruments that will enable people and like you said, ordinary Nigerians to be able to take part in this sort of, you know, supporting government's drive to, you know, improving our infrastructure in the country. So um, even though we don't have the full form of what, because, you know, it's in, it's in it's, yeah. you know, uh, just sign the papers and we're, you know, working to actually kickstart activities, you know, we're, we're doing now is just building pipeline of projects that we do. And once that comes up, you know, what you would then find is um, activities, I mean, um, geared towards um, raising funds using different, you know, uh, uh, techniques. Some will come in form of, you know, bonds, you know, hands, like I said, maybe local or foreign, you know, but be rest assured that ordinary Nigerians will have opportunity. I mean, the same way that, Ordinary Nigerians can buy treasury bills today that is aimed at funding government's budget or buying bond, you know, that is aimed at funding government infrastructure. You know, we have all of those. And part of it could we even be, you know, we, we even consider the environment in terms of those who are who find it more comfortable to invest in um, you know, green related activities. So it could come with a green bond, it could come with a sukuk. You know, such that investors who who do not have, um, you know, who ethically will not invest in interest yielding asset 
or interest yielding securities can also have opportunity to to invest in it. You know, so you can we cannot sit here and tell you exhaustively the sort of instruments that you know the funding will 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 throw into the to to the to the box. But let's be assured that it's such that we enable everybody to be able to participate to invest. You know, and let's let's just be making steps towards solving infrastructure problem in Nigeria. And I can tell you that. You know, once this kicks in, and even when we exhaust the 15 trillion, you know, the, the, the central bank has not mentioned that, but I'm quite sure if you see it work and you've been able to, you know, exhaust that 15 trillion and pay back investors, it's not likely to stop. You know, it's likely going to continue until, you know, we get to the point where, you know, we would have solved most of our infrastructure problem in Nigeria. So I think it's kudos to Central Bank and the the consortium, you know, I mean, partnership with AFC and NSIA who came with this with this idea. But uh, be rest assured that as AfroInvest, we will do our best. You know, it means that we also contribute in our quota to solving, you know, some of the endemic uh, infrastructure problems in Nigeria. Do, do we have any idea as to when it's likely to kick off Finally, and are there any specific projects that you are aware that these funds will be channeled into? So, um, the, the the fund itself has specific sectors that have been um, highlighted. Uh, we have um, education, we have um, power, we have uh, oil and gas, right, and um, Transportation is there, so we also have technology. You know, as you know, basic five sectors uh, that uh, the fund wants to to target. So, I mean, any project that we'll be investing in will cut across these you know specific sectors that um, you know, um, and those are the critical sectors of the economy, anyways. That has been identified. You know, some of the funding we we go into, and in terms of kicking off, we've already signed. So. You know, um, I can assure you that before the end of the year, you start seeing projects, you know, here and there that um, the infrastructure fund would, would have started uh, addressing. Thank, thank you very, very much for that expose. Um, I'm beginning to round things up. I know I've taken quite a lot of your time already. I have access to some retail investors and a few of them, when I, because I told them that, look, I'm speaking with the CIO of AfriInvest, any ideas for questions? And somebody okay. has come up to say they've run into some issues with your AfriInvest dollar funds. Um, okay. Quite a lot of people have had to redeem their funds, um, yes. equity funds, qu- quite some issues cropping up here and there. I just want to get your perspective on a few of these challenges. Okay. AfriInvest dollar fund is one of the mutual funds that AfriInvest Asset Management runs. And um, it's meant to invest in USD denominated assets. By virtue of trust, the I was mentioning investment policy statements, trust deed or investment charter, as the case may be. Because the regulated fund, we're guided by a trust deed, you know, that was drafted through a trustee at the beginning of the fund. Now, uh, that fund is supposed to be marked to market. You know, we talked about market risk, you know, yes. credit risk, as was as I ran in the course of our conversation. So um, the market risk that has confronted every USD-based fund in the market today, and there's no exception, you know, I mean, it's my space, I can tell you, 
we are invested across sub-Saharan African euro bonds. And because of policy normalization, I mean, we're talking about systemic central banks, you know, normalizing policy. You know, 2020, you know, pandemic came with a lot of stimulus, what we call quantitative easing, where central banks are buying assets of corporations, you know, and what this does is to pump a lot of money into the system. It's more like a, uh, what you call expansionary monetary policy. And that pumps money into the system and you see a lot of cash chasing, you know, the assets that are available. The consequence of that is asset prices will go up. And when asset prices are going up, these are coming down. However, with um, the gas, or should I say energy crisis that is, you know, creeping in gradually, you know, the era of inflation. In fact, uh, just yesterday we had um, a webinar where we were talking about great inflation, geopolitics and market volatility, you know, because the greatest theme that has shaped the investment landscape globally in 2022 has been inflation. And what happens when there is inflation, the, you know, um, uh, systemic central banks or any other central bank at that, we know for this. And so what they do is to also attack it, to fight inflation. And one way to fight inflation is to raise policy rates, to raise benchmark interest rates. When you do that, the implication is that yields will rise. And when yields are rising, what you're saying is that asset prices will go down. So that was the effect that African Invest Dollar Fund faced. And I can tell you for free that, I mean, I have a lot of colleagues in the marketplace. You know, what happens is that most of the funds are not, you know, actually being marked to market. And uh, what you then see is that, you know, they report the, the, the figures at cost. But I'm happy to tell my investors in that fund is that they don't have anything to worry about. You know, um, you know um, right now, my year-to-day return on that fund is in excess of 4%, you know, so meaning if you invested at the beginning of the year, you've done, you know, 4%. As I speak, I think I should be about the highest performing in the market. And I can assure my investors that they will see consistent positive performance in that portfolio going forward, you know. But like you said, you know, when that happened, we, we did a lot of engagement explaining to a lot of our clients that, you know, portfolio management is not something we do, um, you know, um, unofficially, uh, what I mean by that is there are standards, there are policies. You know, the same way when you analyze a company's financials, there are standards for which that financial has been prepared. You know, we talk about using IFRS. That's why I'm able to pick the financial of a bank and compare with another bank because they use the same standard to report. In portfolio management as well, there are also standards we follow. You know, we call it GIPS, you know, uh, uh, standard that normally should guide our portfolios are uh, you know, reported. And that's what we try to follow uh, because we are professionals. We have been in this game for a very long time. But like I said, investors don't care about that. What they want to see is return. And I can tell you that my return is about the best in the market now, if it's not. You know, and I can assure them that consistently they will begin to see positive performance. By the way, in 2020, at the peak t- of, the, of the pandemic, right, the peak of the pandemic, my fund was the best performing uh, dollar fund in the market, right? 14% I returned in the year 2020. Yeah, that is, is, was even better than what your Naira investment would have returned. You know, so I mean, we are getting closer to that era again. And that's why the, the, the portfolio has been improving. Basically. Perfect. Thank you very, very much. Um, we've taken a lot of your time. 
And um, I'll just let you go on this last question, sir. Okay, Looking fine. at the Nigerian investing space, what's your outlook for the rest of 2022 and any final words for the retail investors listening to this? Mm. So the outlook, it's, um, and I'm going to be honest with our listeners, um, it's not going to be a bed of roses for the rest of the year. There are risk factors that investors need to still be aware of. And I will always reference, and by the way, I can share that document with you. I think I shared it with you already. Yes, you did. About yes, you the, did. Yes, the webinar we had uh, just yesterday. And I mean, you can share it with all your audience just so that they have an idea of what we are projecting for the rest of the year. And at the beginning of the year, we looked at what to expect in 2020. And reviewing the performance of Q1, we saw that we were very correct. Because, I mean, as a firm, we also traded you know, um, the the development of Q1, you know, for which we benefited. But for investors, you know, especially retail investors, um, it's just good because they cannot be as active as an institution will be, number one, because they don't have the time and they may not also have the expertise to determine or call the market appropriately the way an Australian investor will do. But what investors can do is within the local and international space, you know, sadly, I cannot, you know, recommend, you know, most fixed income uh, um, investments within the local space at the moment because it's not desirable to investors. If you buy treasury bills one year today, you're barely getting 5% per annum, you know. So most investors are like, that's not even compensating for inflation, right? So um, I would advise that investors, we have to balance between you know, or among some specific, you know, asset uh, classes. And that's why when we were looking into 2022, particularly in the documents I shared with you, we had a modeled portfolio. Like we modeled portfolio that if you are to invest across asset classes, um, I'm particularly referencing the event that you share with your, your, yeah. your audience. I'm particularly referencing page, um, page 51 of the document we shared. We had a model portfolio across asset classes. Uh, we say that if you are to allocate your hundred percent, you could give thirty to alternatives, you know, thirty percent to bonds, twenty percent to equities, ten percent to commodities, and ten percent to money market. So the question you will now ask me: How can you actually action this? For instance, alternatives. You will see a couple of um, firms coming out with different alternative products. You know, and, and for alternative, I'm going to recommend that you should be very careful and, and be sure of the investor you're dealing with before you, you know, go into alternative. For instance, Afroinvest, we also have an alternative product that we sell from time to time. You know, but unlike traditional assets, you know, these come with when you have a you know, project or a deal at hand. They are not a regular investment you will see all the time. But we are saying that if you must allocate, because they tend to offer relatively higher returns than the traditional asset, you, you, you should allocate about 30% to them. If you must buy bonds, we think you should do 30%. And for retail investors, savings bond is a good one for them. You know, uh, you can you can go into savings bond, allocate about 30%, because they will still give you better returns than you get in money market. And we are saying do money market only 10%, just for you to have some sort of liquidity or to make your portfolio somewhat liquid for in and out that is entry and exit when you need you know money and for equities we think you can do 20 percent because the outlook still suggests 
that there will be pockets of gains, you know, depending on the security you're looking at. If you were an investor in the oil and gas sector, for example, particularly CEPLAT this year, you would have seen the performance. And this is tied basically to, you know, oil price outlook, right? So, and, you know, those sort of opportunities will still exist. Uh, a couple of banks we also do well in 2022, you know, um, I mean, again, you have to relate to specific recommendations on the, you know, different sectors, you know, and of course, commodities, uh, we say do 10% because 10%, I mean, how to action commodities is basically to in, invest in ETFs, you know, um, in Nigeria today is only new gold. And that can only give you stability. Like I said, it's not so liquid. But outside of Nigeria, there are commodities ETF, oil ETF that you can buy. You know, especially if you have platform to most of these US uh, US stocks uh, platform that allows you to to trade um, equities. Um, so I think that's that's that. So, but in terms of outlook generally, I think that um, there are risk factors to consider because you will never see returns when there are no yeah yeah. So, there are risk factors to consider, but if you stay a bit um, conservative using this model portfolio we preach, then you'll be a bit um, immune from any extreme market volatility that may present themselves before the end of the year. As my parting words, I would say that investors should be weary of returns that they cannot defend, you know, because that is the bane of most retail investors this day and age, especially when you have an environment where, you know, the country is tough, right? Because the economic conditions are not looking too good. So people are looking for extra incomes here and there. And while you're trying to invest your ad hand money, you shouldn't fall prey of um, Ponzi schemes or, or, you know, uh, frosters who are just putting out all sort of too good to be true. um, investment opportunities that are just meant to defraud investors. So please, uh, my parting word will be: do your due diligence. You know, if you if you worked hard to make your money, then you should do some extra work to also invest it, so that you're not losing it the way you are making it. So um, I think that's my parting word for most investors today. Thank you. Thank you very very much. It's been a lovely educative time going through this expose with you. Um, I hope we can do this on some other day. Absolutely. All right, perfect. 